0: I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about current discussions in the United States about democracy and whether democracy is disappearing or not, we invite back to the podcast Amy McGrath, who ran for Senate in the state of Kentucky against Mitch McConnell. She is the first woman to ever fly combat missions in Afghanistan and in Iraq. And she's also teaching at the University of Kentucky now. Amy, welcome back. Hey, great to be with you. So there's a lot of discussion going on right now about democracy. And, you know, it's hard for a lot of us to really get to the bottom of it and know what to make of it. What, what do you make of all this discussion about democracy? Democracy is something I think a lot of us have taken for granted for a long time.
1: Well, I agree. And I know we're talking about this a lot now, but this has been going on for years, The sort of erosion of democratic principles and when we talk about things like the excessive money in politics, dark money, and how that influences our elections and campaigns, and we talk about gerrymandering, and now we're talking about voting rights, this stuff is real. It's, it's happening, and it has real negative effects on our democracy. And I'm very concerned and have been for many years about this sort of slow um, corrosion of democracy from within. You know, I've spent my life protecting our country, protecting us from external threats, mostly, you know, in the military. That's what you do. You serve in the, uh, you know, and you wear the uniform. What I have come to realize in the last six or seven years is that one of the biggest threats to our country is that corrosion of our democracy from within. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to run and, and try to make a difference. But it's real.
0: So, you ran as a Democrat, you are a Democrat, but there's nobody I know who would accuse you of being a partisan. You're you're a centrist and you're somebody who ran to, you know, work across the aisle, you continue to work across the aisle in your activities, you know, nowadays, which I want to ask you about. But why do you think the Democratic Party seems to be a little bit behind the curve when it comes to local elections and and, you know, precinct elections and You know, it seems like there's so many levers of power that the Democratic Party is either ignoring or not able to really harness, you know, at the local level across the country.
1: Well, I agree with you. um, And I think it's unfortunate, but it hasn't been the focus. And it needs to be. Part of that is because I think that many people, including myself to some degree, didn't really believe that the other party would try to change the system. To benefit themselves. You know, when you talk about voting rights and the Voting Rights Act of 1965, the reauthorization of that was in 2006, not that long ago. Many Republicans voted for that. It was, it was essentially a non-controversial bill. It, it should be a non-controversial bill today. And yet it is controversial. And yet the Republicans are saying it's a power grab. I mean, the if you look at what's in these bills, that it's crazy that it's even controversial at all. These are common sense, small d democracy type of, of things to make our country to revitalize and help people vote. So I think that the Democrats may be slow, you're right on the uptake, but for many of us, we didn't think that the Republican Party would be as extreme as they have been in order to grab power themselves.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing that is hard for me to understand is is why we're politicizing, or the Republican Party seems to be politicizing, or just flat out dislikes, things like, you know, creating a, a national holiday for voting. Shouldn't I mean that's that's one of the greatest celebrations in the United States is to vote. And how can we not have a national holiday? It really does prevent some people from voting who are hourly workers who can't get off work, you know, et cetera.
1: Yeah, the, these provisions are really—they um, should not be controversial. And unfortunately, that's one of the most controversials. I actually think, as a veteran, we should make Veterans Day election day in our country. I think you know, veterans. This is this
0: is what it's all about. We fought for our democracy. You ought to honor veterans by going to the polls. What better way to honor our our military, our veterans, and the ongoing sacrifice that so many people make to to keep this country safe?
1: Yeah. People used to ask me when I was serving overseas, they said, you know, what, what can I do for veterans? You know, what can I do for, for you? And I say, you know, don't slap a yellow ribbon on your on your car. Go vote and make sure that everybody that is around you votes and care about the local elections, care about what's going on in your communities, care about the, the politics, because it really does matter. But some of these provisions in in, in this, you know, what I call sort of revitalizing our democracy, This is basic common sense stuff. Two weeks of early voting. You know, that makes sense. I always tell the story after my my house race in 2018, I went through a drive through at McDonald's and was getting a coffee one morning. And this woman says, oh, I I love you. I love what you stand for. And, you know, and I said, great, did you vote? She said, no, I couldn't get off work. I dropped my my infant off at my mom's house. I take the bus here to work full time. And then I have to go pick her up at the end of the day. And there was no time to get away. And, you know, we, we just, not everybody lives the same way we do. And I just think that, you know, for truckers, for airline pilots, for people who aren't always around every single day to be able to walk to, you know, their precinct and go vote in, in a 12 hour period, which is what you had in Kentucky for many, many years. We need to change. You know, it's, it's 2022. It's not, you know, 1875. So I, I think these things, voting by mail, uniform standards for voter ID, if if a state has a voting ID, um, these should not be controversial things. And yet, yet they are.
0: So and we know factually that voting by mail, that there isn't fraud, that it's safe, that it is consistent with voting practices where, you know, people, the votes are being counted properly. What is it with voting by mail that has set people off so much? It, you know, it seems like the least controversial issue. You know, military veterans have been doing it forever. They've been voting absentee, people who live overseas have been doing it forever. They vote absentee, people who are not well enough to get to the polls. And then, you know, now we have COVID where people don't want to congregate in polling centers. It's not just that it's easy to vote by mail, but it's it's healthy in some senses especially during a pandemic so so what is the what do you see as the problem here
1: well i mean i personally think that this is a function of the sort of trump cult that you see in this country where you have uh, one man who just says he he doesn't like it and so you have a lot of people that you know say that they don't like it those of us who have been in the military i voted my entire adult life by mail it was never controversial you know worked out fine and I think again, you disenfranchise a lot of elderly when you when you don't provide these things, people in the military, people who are, you know, we, we all talk about jobs that were so important during the pandemic, you know, truck drivers and, and those sorts of things, but yet we don't help them to have the basic right to to go vote. You know, again, these things are are not should not be controversial. Automatic voter registration is something that this bill would you know make happen around the country. I think that's really important. So many people want to vote but they didn't know they had to register. They don't know how to register. You can register online, you know. This bill would allow if you go get a driver's license at the at the DMV that they would automatically register. If you choose not to vote, then great, don't vote, but at least you're registered so that if you do want to vote, you can do it. I just think that this is this is what America stands for. It should not be difficult in this country to cast your ballot.
0: There's a lot of folks out there, you know, carrying the the cult of Trump as you described it, you know, and the message around even if former President Trump himself isn't carrying that message as much. You you hear radio talk show hosts, you hear podcasts, you hear, you know, there's there's even been reports that there's been a huge increase in a precinct strategy that Republicans are taking and they're all trying to you know, there was a surge reported that you know, some 41 percent more people are registering to to work in the precincts on the Republican side. But on the Democratic side, it hasn't increased. What do you attribute that to?
1: Well, I think a lot of poll workers historically have been elderly and retired individuals who have had the ability and the time to do it. And I think the pandemic has certainly made it harder for them to volunteer. I also think that there is a, a calculated strategy on the right to make sure that elections are moving in their direction. You know, we we saw this on January 6th. We're still pulling the string on this. In January 6th, they basically used the threat of, of voter fraud, which is an individual crime that somebody does. It doesn't really influence our elections. We have very little voter fraud in this country, and it is not a threat to our democracy, They use that threat of voter fraud in order to try to actually overturn a legitimate election. That's called election fraud. And so what they're trying to do now is to change the system so that whenever things don't go their way, they will then basically throw out a bogus investigation and allow the electors for that, for that state, you know, to go to the legislature of that state, which is probably going to be Republican, so that they can get the results that they want. I mean, this is fundamentally changing the way we, we vote in this country. And that's why it's so important. I know it's complicated, but you essentially have to have a faith that your, your vote is going to be counted and what they're doing is changing that. And it's it's very concerning.
0: And they're doing it in a in a legal fashion though, aren't they? Some would call it a, a you know a really brilliant strategy because they're going to the very heart of the democracy to, to run for positions of power that, you know, even some might think are really small but really matter.
1: Right. I mean, if the if the results of the election, for example, don't go their way and they change the system such that there's now, you know, they, they throw out a bogus investigation so that at any time there's a there's some investigation, now the, now we can't count the results. And then it goes to the next line in their law, which in many cases would be the legislature, for example. If the legislature is Republican, then, you know, they're going to vote the way they want to vote. That could be America. That could be the way we, we elect our president in the future. And that that was exactly what they were trying to, if you, if you look at what, what they were trying to do on January 6th, from what we know, and we're still doing an investigation on this, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to change the way that electors go and get sent to Washington DC with these sort of alternative, uh, fake electors. The only thing that stopped them was the vice president. Vice president yeah. Pence did not go along with it. So all you need now is, is, is somebody else. In in that chain of command, you know, to go along with it, and the whole thing gets changed, and that's the real problem. But you asked earlier about why the Republicans don't aren't for some of these sort of common sense measures. I think another reason is part of this new legislation is the anti gerrymandering portion of that. Republicans are really that they benefit from gerrymandering. It, in my opinion, it is wrong. For for both Democrats and Republicans, it hurts our country. It hurts our democracy. Because basically what you have happening is in places like North Carolina, for example. The Republican-led legislature there has gerrymandered it such that 10 of their 14 congressional seats go to Republicans. When Biden won almost 50% of the vote there, they have a Democratic governor. That, that state is almost 50-50. You know, if you have 14 seats in the House, you would think, well, seven of them should be Democrats and seven of them should be Republicans. At the most, you know, nine Republicans and 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 but or eight go Republican. But but 14, I mean, that's crazy. And they're doing it in Texas. They're doing it by things like cracking districts and and shoving all of, of Democratic voters into one district so that all of the other seats can go to the Republicans and this is a real problem because most people just they're they're somewhere in the middle. They they want they believe in our democracy, and when you don't see that happening, they you know basically don't have a voice. You know it also hurts minority voters, and so the, there's a real problem here.
0: Is it that the Democrats are just letting them do this, or you know are the Democrats doing anything about it?
1: So. The Constitution of the United States of America. <laughs> Not to go all the way back, but yeah. <laughs> um, but we sort of have to, right? Article One, Section Four, I believe, states that essentially the state legislatures have the power to draw, you know, the, the districts. Basically, it, it says that the times, places, and manners of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature. Okay. But Congress may at any time make a law to alter such regulations. So basically what the Democrats are trying to do is at the national level, at the federal level, pass a law that has some standard stuff dealing with voting laws. And that's what this is all about, because we see these very partisan things happening at the state level. And Unfortunately, we just can't trust the state legislature of Texas or North Carolina or Kentucky to do the right thing. And that's why we're we're trying Democrats are trying to pass this at the federal level.
0: Is this new though that we can't trust the states? I mean, you know, this has been in place for a very long time in this country since the birth of this country that states have power to, you know, set up their elections as they see fit. And the federal government never had to think about really stepping in, except for you know the Voting Rights Act and things like that. Is this new that we need to really be thinking closely about this?
1: I I think it is new because I think that the the partisanship has gotten so much worse. We did have massive debates in this country. We did have political parties. We've had them for you know two hundred plus years, right? But because of the massive pull to the party side now. I think it, we have to look at this. And that, of course, we talked about before the reasons for that, right? The media, gerrymandering, excessive money in politics, dark money uh, forces. You know, when your district is gerrymandered so, such that your seat is just safe, you know, the only thing that you're worried about is a a primary, you know, from from the far left or the far right. And that's not... That's not conducive to compromise on anything, which is what we need in this country to actually get things done.
0: And do you think that that this is all discouraging? You know, people who are able to compromise, people who are closer to the center, from even running for office.
1: Absolutely, people see that the system just you know isn't something that can be fixed. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who who just say, you know, I, I can't get into politics because. I'm not going to be able to make a difference anyway. Or once you get in, you're going to change. You'll become a part- partisan because you have to. You know, I'm not willing to just throw up my hands and say, well, it's, it's all over and our country can't get through this. I think there are good people. I think one of the things that has really saddened me about recent years is I was the kind of person that always believed in both parties. Uh, my yeah. husband was a, a lifelong Republican. Um, I was an independent for most of my life. And I sort of believed both sides, you know, had some really good people and and stood for some some things. I I believed in in equality and and what the Democrats stood for. And I was somebody that believed that that we should have a strong military, that we should have some fiscal responsibility, you know, so I sort of leaned in that direction. But I think what, what has disturbed me is that I have seen the Republican Party sort of lose its principles or what I thought were its principles in the age of Trump. And now, without any principles at all, they don't really have a, a sort of a principled message for the American people. And so what they're trying to do is go after the system to retain power. And I think that's, that's really real.
0: You know, I had a, a pretty depressing conversation with one of my students at Tulane University the other day. He's from a small town in Mississippi. And he's about to graduate and he wants to come up to Washington to work on Capitol Hill. And so he was asking for some advice. And I said, well, you know, I don't know what your politics are, but, you know, if I were you, I'd try to work for a member, you know, on either side that's close to the center. And he said, I used to be able to think about working for a Republican, but I I can't think about it now. And, you know, I'm a Democrat now and I want to work for somebody on the center, but there's a lot of people on the far left in the Democratic Party, too. How do I avoid all this? And, you know, it was a really sad conversation because this is a young person who, you know, wants to participate, who wants to come to Washington to try to make a difference and, and you know, isn't particularly political, you know, wants to help the country with policy. And it's hard to advise young people in this state of where we are right now because they're just kind of lost.
1: I think that not only from the Capitol Hill perspective, but I think one of the other things that I've seen in the last few years is this denigration of public servants, people who work in the federal government, for example. You know, when when we talk about government shutdowns and things, that really hurts people. And you're not going to get, you know, quality individuals who want to go into public service, whether it's in in the legislative branch as, as staffers. Or in the executive branch, you know, they're not treated well, <laughs> and uh, and I think that's a real concern for our country because we need good people in government, not just in the private sector, but our government needs to run efficiently, and we need to have people that are creative, that are smart, and who believe that they have a, a role in public service. And so you you know your your student there is is an example of probably talent that our country is going to lose out on.
0: Yeah, that's that's my fear. I, I wanted to ask you along these lines, you're doing an awful lot to help centrist candidates right now, both sides of the aisle. Tell me a little bit about that, because I think that's important. And I don't know that there's that many public figures like you with your kind of profile working to do this.
1: My organization is called Honor Bound, and it's... Um, basically designed to to help inspire mostly women because we still only have twenty five percent women in places like Congress. So I think there there needs to be a, an effort to really inspire women to to jump into the political world. But it's it's nonpartisan in the sense that I, I really want women, it doesn't really matter what political party you are, but I want women who have served the country, whether it's in military or in FBI, in the CIA, in the AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, People who have already proven that they can put something above themselves, that they can put something above their politics, OK, and for them to get into politics and run for office, to be the leaders that our country needs. So my organization is there to, to help them get started, to help them network, to help them think about where they might be able to serve, sort of pick up your pack again and serve in a different way. And of course, I am helping the, the Democratic side of those women with a PAC as well, because I just feel like that's really important. And of course, I'm a Democrat and I, you know, I'm I'm very concerned about the Republican Party right now and where it's going. But in general, I want more people who have served this country to to step up and say, hey, politics is important. It's nasty. It's hard. But, you know, our country needs some patriots that are willing to do something like that. The best leaders are sometimes the ones who don't really want that leadership role. But when your country asks you, you step up. And I think that we need to have a balance. It's really hard to get people who don't want to run to run. But at the same time, I want to inspire people to realize, hey, there's a duty out there. And if you are a candidate that that can make a difference, we need you to step up.
0: You know. I followed the the money issue in politics for a long time. John McCain, obviously, was somebody we all looked up to um, when it came to that issue. You've mentioned money and voting and mo- money and democracy in this podcast a couple of times now. What do you think needs to happen?
1: Well, one of the things that's in this bill that you know the Democrats are trying to pass right now is a provision that would require folks who are in the dark money world to disclose who the, who their donors are if they play in a congressional or if they play in a campaign, if they play in an election. Right now, there's no disclosure. So basically, you have ads that are either, you know, they could be on TV, they, it could be flyers that people get in the mail, and we don't know who pays for that. And they can say wh- whatever they want. They can lie. I mean, in my race, there were flyers that went to voters that had just basic lies about me. They just flat out lied. But there's no, you know, paid for by, there's none of that.
0: So you have no idea.
1: No idea. We have no idea where it came, no trace. I mean, that should not be legal in this country. It's just basic stuff, right? It's not It's not even a partisan thing. It's just the basic stuff. So we should know who pays for these ads. And I know that was something that John McCain really wanted and pressed through. I mean, he, it, you know how when you when you watch a commercial that is from a congressional candidate or from a presidential candidate, it says, you know, paid for by Joe Biden for president or whatever. That's the hard money piece where, thank God, John McCain got that passed so that on network TV, you can see that. But guess what? There's, no, there's hardly any laws with regards to the digital world. There's hardly any uh, regulations when it comes to flyers in the mail. You know, some of this stuff. So in dark money, you can basically do whatever you want. I mean, you know, and this was all, of course, because of Citizens United, which I believe is the worst Supreme Court case in modern history, uh, because it it opened the floodgates with no regulations whatsoever. And I'm not somebody that believes that that regulations are going to stop everything and make everything perfect. But we've got to have some laws in this country regarding this stuff.
0: Especially when so many people are online now and so many people are getting a flood, especially during election season of, you know, online advertising, online messages, online everything. It's a clear strategy of any political campaign now to be prominent online. And if that's not, if there aren't any regulations there or any stop gaps or any rules, what do we have?
1: Right. Right. And, you know, I know the pushback, of course, is freedom of speech and all that. But there needs to be some basic rules regarding governing of our campaigns and elections. Because, I mean, if you if you bring it all the way back to what Vladimir Putin does, for example, in Russia, is, you know, you just you just feed propaganda and misinformation to people. It is very real. I mean, anybody that that watches like she's one of our major news networks is, you know, massively into this. People believe that stuff. And I just think that that there needs to be some basic uh, rules regarding this so that we can get back to, you know, trusting each other again.
0: Do you think we're capable of having, at this point, fair elections going into 2022 and, and in the presidential election in 2024? I mean, this, you know, big lie that Trump has been propagating certainly seems to be the focus of lots of people out there right now, and I'm just wondering if you think we can actually have a fair election that the results will be something the American people will accept.
1: Well, I don't know if um, one side will accept the results if they don't if it doesn't go their way. I think we're still dealing with the aftermath of the 2020 elections, and that side still not accepting the results, and that's really unfortunate. I do believe that that. I, I'm an optimist and I believe in our country and I believe in our system. Even in 2020, we had Republicans like Vice President Pence and the Georgia Secretary of State, for example, stand up and do what was right. They may not have liked doing it. They might now be be turning around and trying to run away from, from what it is that they did, but they did the right thing because they knew, you know, this is the right thing to do. And my hope is that Going forward, we will still have those types of individuals who will stand up. And I I think that as long as we have that, we're going to be okay. I think we have to to highlight the Republicans, what they're trying to do to change the system and push back on that at the at the local and state level. And ultimately, I really hope that we can press through some of these provisions of this new voting rights law, even if we can't do all of it, even even if we can't get election day as a holiday, you know, if we have to, if Senator Schumer and the team has to break it up and make it individual, individualized and vote on them one one by one, then fine, do it. Put those senators on the record, you know, put them on the record Absolutely. for these things. This That's what people really want to see. A lot of people are tired of these huge, massive bills to be pushed through with. Nobody knows what's in them anyway. Make them vote on the individual provisions that I think are really common sense that, by the way, the vast majority of Americans want, you know, online registration, same day registration, being able to vote by mail, you know, make them vote on this stuff.
0: Yeah, these are popular things. And why do you think the Democratic Party keeps trying to cram everything into like huge kitchen sink bills that, you know, and the the problem with it is, is a lot of people don't understand all the things that are in it. How could you possibly? There's so much detail. But then, you know, I I think a lot of things that are popular just sort of fall by the wayside and get lumped in with things that aren't popular.
1: I agree. and I'm not uh, up there to be able to, to shed some light on that, except to say that, you know, I think. In recent years, we have come accustomed to these real big bills where we can shove everything in and pass it. I, I actually think the m- most Americans, most Kentuckians that I talk to, really don't like that. They would love to see us debate individually these provisions and and vote up or down on some of these things. And and I think even even when you talk about um, infrastructure bills and things like that, I actually think we should be you know breaking those up to some degree. I understand why they want to press through because it's, you know, it's, sometimes it's more efficient to, to do it that way. But I think, you know, to get things done, let's break it up. I think another reason why is that the media, whenever, you know, if you break something up and some of it doesn't pass, is that is that a win or a loss
0: Yeah. for
1: the party? You know, and, and, you know, it's like a lot of leaders, leadership doesn't, they don't even want to put bills up for a vote unless they're going to pass or not. You know, gone are the days to put things on the floor unless it's for show. I, I just, I just wish we could get back to voting on things and standing up for it. You know, sometimes maybe things won't pass in 2022, but maybe we can bring it back up in 2023. Try it again.
0: An incremental approach certainly seems what's needed. Amy McGrath, thank you for your time today and for helping us try to understand and get to the truth of the matter about some of these really complex issues. So thank you so much.
1: Great. Great to be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more.